All right, a couple of announcements before we get into the lesson this morning. I want to remind the elders that your presence is requested in the back room after services this morning for a meeting. Uh, last week, we started life groups, and you would not believe the attendance that we had at life groups. We just about hit triple-digit attendance total on life groups. And I know a couple of us were out of town. We had some other things going on. Uh, so this is an encouraging thing. The elders are encouraged by that. And I think that, by and large, everybody enjoyed their life group. And if you didn't, we're not taking complaints at this time. So I <laughs> want to encourage you to be meeting with your group today. Again, if you, didn't, if you chose not to participate, a group does meet here at the building at 4 o'clock. Five o'clock. Okay, five o'clock here at the building. Yeah, if you're wanting to participate in that, that'll be here. Yeah, get with Nick Malasa if you're interested in making some holiday baskets with the Thanksgiving holiday coming up around the corner. Yeah, that will be a good help for him. I know he will appreciate that. And we are working on the finalization of a plan, but know that this is just your teaser. October, we're going to do a thing called, and we're streaming this, so I have to be careful. We're going to do a thing called, <laughs> sorry, Firearm Fellowship. We'll get you some more details on that uh, in the upcoming weeks, so just be watching the bulletin, watching the things that are going out, you know, informational-wise on that. But know that everybody likes to have fellowship, and lots of people like firearms. Why not combine the two of them? Anyway. We've been going through the book of Mark on Sunday mornings, following in the footsteps of the master as he's been blazing the trail for us, uh, showing us what life is meant to look like, showing us really what the reality of being a Christian is all about. Uh, and of all of the challenges that I have presented to at least myself through the course of the lessons, I'm just going to submit to you this morning and tell you, Mark chapter 12 becomes one of the biggest challenges for me. So this lesson really wasn't written with anybody in mind but Jeremy. You might get some benefit out of it. I hope you do. But this was written more for me. Because this is where, and I'll talk about some of my frustrations as we get into the lesson this morning, uh, just dealing with people and how we see Jesus dealing with people through the course of it. Yeah, but before we do that, anybody ever heard of Google Feud? It's like family feud, but you can play it at home with, on the internet. Uh, kids, don't do this right now, please. P pay attention to the lesson. But you, you Google search Google feud, and it'll come up. It's like you guys have heard of family feud, right? All right, so it's like family feud, and you can play this against teams in your own home, uh, guessing different words or filling in how Google will complete your search if you got tired of typing. Okay, so for instance, if you selected thing, uh, you might get fill in Google's autocomplete with does the moon have rings? Who said rings? Okay, no, Kathy, the moon does not have rings. And this is where Google feud becomes depressing. So if you were to ask yourself, what does the moon have? What would be some kids, what would be some of the first things that would come to your mind if you were asking Google, does the moon have Hold on, one at a time. What, do we not understand what one at a time means? Goodness. Go. Craters. 
Craters? He just said that. All right. Did you know that gravity was on that? People don't know if the moon has gravity. It's almost more sad that two of our kids said craters. All right, kids, here's the deal. Next time there's a full moon, just go outside and look at the thing. You don't even need some kind of special apparatus. All right? It's got craters. But it's kind of a fun way to just kind of guess and see how intelligent the population is uh, as you're going through things. I know most of us have probably heard this. You guys have heard that there's no such thing as a stupid question. Anybody ever heard that? How many of us recognize the absolute falseness of that statement? Okay. If you've ever worked with anyone, <laughs> you know that that statement is just not true. Uh, I learned it actually pretty relatively quickly when I was in the Marine Corps and I was training privates. And we would take them out, and for the infantry, they do these things called immediate action drills. Now, the whole purpose of an immediate action drill is to minimize casualties uh, in any given scenario that's out there. Well, one of the immediate action drills that we had to teach these kids was how to survive an incoming aircraft attack. An aircraft, like a plane, all right? And, and what you do is you line, put yourself in a line 15 meters apart, perpendicular to the path of the airplane as it's coming in. Because what they're going to do, if there's guns on an airplane, it will shoot, and it will only shoot in the direction that the airplane is traveling. It will minimize casualties on that. Well, one of the kids raises his hand, and I said, yes, private, go ahead. And he said, but sergeant, what if the pilot decides to throw a grenade at us while he's flying over the top of us? And I said, you know what, Marine? If that pilot, while traveling at excessive speeds, decides to pop his cockpit, do the trigonometry to figure out the angle of descent with the timing of the fuse in the grenade, then I guess we just deserve to get blown up. <laughs> there are such a thing as stupid questions. Now, before I go any further, I want to define what a question is that is less than intelligent. First, a question that is less than intelligent is a question that has already been answered. But the asker wasn't paying attention. Second, a question that is less than intelligent is a question that can be answered with less than a minute of research. And thirdly, a question that is less than intelligent is a question where the answer is obvious through observation. For instance, does the moon have craters? <laughs> and I guess we should actually put a little caveat on there. For those who have lived for more than a decade, and I would submit to you that the only time that the adage, the only stupid question is, not, is the one not asked, applies only to the classroom where a person is seeking information and knowledge on a subject. That's the only time that that adage actually applies. Mark chapter 12 is filled with questions. All right? When we get into Mark chapter 12 and you start uh, in verse 
14, they, that would be the Pharisees and the Herodians, came and said to Jesus, teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? The second question comes from the Sadducees in verse 18 and following, and they say in verse 19, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. There were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died leaving no children. The second one married her and died leaving behind no children, and the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Last of all, the woman died also. In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all had married her. And then in verses, uh, verse 28, where he says, one of the scribes heard them arguing, recognizing that Jesus had answered well, asks, what commandment is the greatest? Now, these three questions are asked from the people that form the ruling class of Israel. Okay? They're asking these questions of Jesus, and we understand from verse 13 that there's a reason why they're, why they're asking these questions. They're asking these questions to test Jesus, and Jesus is not unintelligent enough to figure out that that is what they're doing. They're testing him. In fact, when he says, why is it, uh, in verse 15, why are you testing me about the tax question? Okay? Why are you testing me on this? So Jesus has this figured out. But I'm going to tell you right now, these questions frustrate me. They frustrate me like no other questions that are asked of Jesus in the Gospels, all right? And they frustrate me because these questions aren't asked to gain insight and understanding. They're meant to trap him. And I think that the, the let's just be upfront and honest on this one. These are questions well below the pay grade of the people asking them. They're too smart to ask these questions. All of us know. Do you need to pay taxes? Yes. The Sadducees, who, by the way, don't believe in the resurrection, ask this silly question about a man with seven brothers and a wife and no babies. Okay, that's below their pay grade. It doesn't even fit their belief system in what they're asking him. And I can imagine that this question was probably used by the Sadducees to stump the Pharisees in the Sanhedrin when they were sitting there meeting and the great debates would arise and they'd be like, okay, well, answer my marriage question there, pal. Because there is no answer for it, as Jesus explains because their question is driven by a lack of understanding of the scriptures and just a complete and utter misunderstanding of eternity. They're petty. They're just trying to start trouble. And I get so frustrated when those kind of questions get asked. And it's not just that they're being asked of Jesus. I get frustrated when petty questions are brought up today. Questions that people ask that are below their pay grade Questions that are asked that then a minute's worth of research or a little bit of common sense could be just answered by themselves. Or questions that are asked just to prove that I'm right. And I think the reason that I get frustrated here is because of how I feel in situations, but also how I see Jesus acting. Because Jesus doesn't act like I want to act in this situation. We're supposed to be learning from Jesus, right? We're supposed to be following in his footsteps. And so when we look at his response in these situations, 
tells us is exactly how he is calling us to behave in the exact same scenarios and situations that we find ourselves living in. Look at Psalm 37 with me real quick. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 says, do not fret because of evildoers, be not envious, excuse me, toward wrongdoers, for they will wither quickly like the grass and fade like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in its way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger, forsake wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil doing. David presents this picture here of calm, cool commitment, righteousness, to be the source of righteousness in any given scenario or situation that you find yourself in to be just relaxed. And that Jesus remains calm in Mark chapter 12 is staggering to me. It blows my mind. And not only is he calm, he's willing to answer the questions. No matter the intelligent level, no matter the motivation of the questioner, Jesus is willing to just come in and answer the question. And I I came to the conclusion the reason he's so willing to answer these questions is because he knows there are people listening. They're going to hear what he has to say. In fact, when you get to verse 28 and the scribes hears how well Jesus had answered the question, he comes in with his own. And then we look a little bit further into the text and Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently Jesus' question or answer to his question there seems to at least have been some impact made on the scribe where on the other two sections there wasn't any. There's people listening and they need to hear the answers, the truthful answers. And not necessarily because of the specific question. Quick, Quick question here, guys. Who looks foolish in this chapter? It ain't Jesus. It is not Jesus that looks foolish. It's the men that bring the questions to him in an attempt to trap him. And here is where we falter when we find ourselves in situations like that. Look at Proverbs 17 real quick. He who restrains his words has knowledge. Now, restrains doesn't mean not talk, okay? That's not what it means. This is carefully metered words. He who restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. But when he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. And this is what Jesus had to say was what people needed to hear. And that is why he was able to remain so calm and so cool and so collected through all of it. But, and at the same time, not paying lip service to false ideas. That's not at all what is being discussed here how he approaches the question. And I think many times for us as we follow Jesus and we get into these types of questions, discussions, and let's just be honest about this, okay? Most of the time, it's probably not having to do with some theological issue that we're answering questions to. 
Maybe he's going to cry. She bunk her head. We're not going to be finding ourselves answering a bunch of theological questions. It's usually when we find ourselves being tempted to just open our mouths and show ourselves before what a fool we actually are is in those questions that we're so emotionally invested in that we're not willing to actually just stop and be calm about it. And it's when we open our mouths where if we just kept our mouths shut, we might have looked a little bit smarter, but we open our mouths and present what a fool we actually are because we can't stay calm in those situations. And even if Jesus was frustrated, and I'm sure that Jesus was frustrated often, but even if he was frustrated here, he still does not let that frustration come out, keeping a cool head, answering these questions the way that he does, because I'm convinced that the heart and the motivation of the questioner is not what we are responsible for, and that's the lesson that Jesus presents to us here. We are responsible for how we respond. Proverbs chapter 12. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips, but the righteous will escape from trouble. A man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his words, and the deeds of a man's hands will return to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. A fool's anger is known at once, but a prudent man conceals dishonor. He who speaks truth tells what is right, but a false witness deceit. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only for a moment. So here's the question I'll leave with you, and I think that Jesus actually leaves for us this morning as we we finish up our time together and looking at his response to these questions and the way that we feel in similar situations. When you answer, is your aim to kill them with your words or to bring healing to them? See, I think there's some deep satisfaction that's found in what we want by just stabbing people to death with the words of our mouth, that thrusting of a sword, that idea that the writer presents in Proverbs. It, it, it makes us feel good. It promotes us in our own mind. It makes us greater than those that we're talking to or dealing with. But if we work to attempt to bring healing to the situation, it puts us all on the same, the same playground. We're all on the same level that we are treating each other the way God had called us to treat each other, to love our neighbor as ourselves through all of that. We can be frustrated, okay? We can be. But we are not allowed to let that frustration come out in the words that we speak that we would damage those that we are talking to. Our call is to bring healing because that is the call that the master answered that the father gave to him in the fulfillment of God's purpose for humanity. And that extends to the words we speak. So, in the future, 
when you find yourself frustrated, not knowing exactly what to say, do you know what the wisest course of action is? I'm like, Bud answered, Bud said, shut up. I was going to say, just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Wait for the emotion to dim so that intellect and reason can come in. To be able to speak to a person like a human instead of a thing. Love them the way that God loved you. Jesus came for so many reasons, but the primary reason of all was to show us that God is the one true God. And that it, by, because of our actions, our behaviors, our words, sin had encroached into our lives and took us captive and made us slaves. And because of that sin, we all were, are deserving of death. But Jesus shows us through his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that restoration, redemption, recovery, all of those wonderful R words that we just spout out become the opportunity for humanity to latch onto and to no longer be slaves to sin, but to be sons of the righteous God. If you are not a member of God's kingdom, a member of God's family, the steps are simple. By faith, you acknowledge the truth of the gospel. And you're baptized. You make the confession that Jesus is Lord and baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You're raised out of the water, a new creature. You're added to the body, added to the kingdom, ready to go to work and ready to follow in the steps of the master. And we're here for you this morning if you want to do that. We're also here for you. The elders are here for you. The body is here for you. If you find yourself killing people with your words, not actually accomplishing the purposes that God's habits accomplish. We all have fallen prey to it. We all have slipped into that mode. But that's not what Jesus is teaching us in Mark 12. If we can help you in that way, we can pray for you, encourage you. Whatever it is that we can do, make that known by coming forward while Stephen leads us in song.